Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 54 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-director, producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. We are currently in season four of the epic series Lost, taking a look today at the premiere episode of the fourth season that aired in January 2008, months, almost more than half a year after the season three finale shocked everyone with a flash forward instead of flashbacks. The beginning of the end picks up with a Hurley flash forward episode. So if you were wondering whether they were going to continue with flash forwards only or flashbacks only or how they were going to do it, we quickly find out we are dealing with flash forwards again. Marcelo, when the beginning of the end, which of course is a nod to the fact that they had announced that there were only going to be three more seasons of Lost and then it was going to wrap. There was a definitive end date in sight and this is the beginning of the back half. What did you think as we started this episode with a massive car chase, the cops pull over the car and out jumps Hugo Reyes. What did you think in those moments as we see Hurley screaming, don't you know who I am? I am one of the Oceanic Six. Okay, first off, that was a really epic car chase. Secondly, what the fuck is the Oceanic Six? There were more of our losties on the beach. And I'm like, what the hell did they do? Could this have been the lie that they fabricated that drove Jack insane? On that same note, as television footage of Hurley's joyride is being seen by a bunch of people on TV, a particular guy in a suit drinking orange juice is watching this. And it turns out to be Jack. So we go from seeing Jack in 100% down in the dumps and in denial and then to seeing Jack in a more stable position in his life. So I was like, okay, what the hell happened? What, what did he get back? And I could only think of one thing that could have saved him from himself. And I'm like, it has to be Kate. The reason that Jack is okay now has to be Kate. What were you thinking in that moment, Matt, when you saw the condition of Jack Shepard in this specific episode? What I was thinking was that these flash forwards were taking place before the flash forwards that we saw last episode. So when we saw that Jack is in a more stable state and he doesn't have the beard, I thought this is before he loses it. This is before he realizes that everything is screwed and he hasn't realized that it's the mistake of his life was leaving the island. So I thought that that was interesting because I'm not necessarily sure when these flash forwards are going to take place. But that was what I was thinking was this flash forward must take place before the season three finale flash forwards because Jack is in a better place. And I didn't think anybody had brought him out of it. I just thought he hadn't sunk there yet. Oh my God, you you really made me realize how confused I'm going to get as the series moves forward here dealing with the flashbacks because I completely thought that it was basically linear storytelling in the form of a flashback, but it's, it's clearly going to get uh, a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, really quickly, what did you think of the quote-unquote guest star of this episode, the detective that 
basically interviews Hurley after he gets arrested because we have seen him before. And he is the part he is the partner of a particular individual that we kind of know. Yeah, I love that they brought back Michael Cudlitz as the cop who was Anna Lucia's partner. And he even mentions Anna Lucia to Hurley and Hurley pretends not to know her. We still don't know what this Oceanic Six is, what the story is. Why are there only six? So there are so many questions. And when Hurley denies knowing Anna Lucia, we start to wonder what story did they tell when they got rescued? And if there's only an Oceanic Six, at this point we know Hurley, Kate, and Jack are three of the six. Who were the other three? So I just love that this, the way that they have decided to tell the story now brings so many more questions onto the table. And they're a different kind of question than we were asking before. And now they're playing with dramatic irony where we can see something in the present on the island. The characters can be happy, loving life. We see Hurley doing a cannonball for joy when he thinks they're on the beach, that they're going to get rescued. And he tells Bernard, this is one of the happiest days ever. Dude, I won the lottery in real life. And when I get back, because they thought we were dead, that money is going to be gone. I am going to have a clean slate. And everything is going to be perfect. And now, because we're doing flash forwards, we can see everything is not perfect. And this clean slate does not exist. So it makes those scenes in the present even more tragic than they are as we're watching them. They use that device a couple of times in this episode where something happens on island that seems like a great thing. And then we go to a flash forward where a character tells us that that was a mistake. And I just love that it adds this whole new layer to Lost where when I'm watching a scene, I'm not sure how to feel because how the scene is making me feel, I might get information 20 minutes later that changes the way I view that scene. And I thought that is just such a cool new dynamic with the dramatic irony and reframing everything from a new perspective that the storytelling with this flash forward device is so broad and expanded. The possibilities are limitless. And I do love that everything that takes place on the island in this episode is the direct aftermath of the Through the Looking Glass episode. And we get lots of joyful moments where Rose and Bernard are reunited and heartbreaking moments where Desmond tells people that Charlie died. And when Hurley tells Claire that Charlie is dead, it is like ripping a Band-Aid off. It reopens that wound of Charlie's death, that it it hits hard again, man. It it got me again in this episode. I would have to agree with you 100%. The fact that Desmond is the first one that sort of steps up to volunteer to tell Claire what happened to Charlie, and the fact that Hurley says, no, 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 I'll be the one to do it. And the fact that he walks up to her and he doesn't say, you know, I think you should sit down or I think you should give Aaron to somebody else. I have something to tell you. The fact that he says it right away and wastes no time and he goes, Charlie's dead. He just says it like that. There's no getting ready for it. There's no bracing for it. He just says it. And after he says it, the acting is just phenomenal. It's so, so great. Yeah, it's so emotional. And I just love that you can read on Hurley's face that the news is bad, but he doesn't hold back. And he says, Charlie 
died. He's dead. It's heartbreaking, but it was necessary. And it brings back that pain. But also in the flash forwards, we do see Dominic Monaghan as Charlie come and visit Hurley while Hurley is in a mental institution again. I loved those moments because it takes a little bit of the sting out of it, but it still digs deeper to hit us again. I love when him and Hurley are having this talk. He's like, I'm dead, but I am here, but I am dead. And it's like, oh my God, what is happening? But he says to Hurley, who's basically given up and hiding, Charlie says to him, like, they need you, Hugo. Basically telling him, like, get up. You got more work to do. And I love that that happened. And also in the flash forwards just before this. So we find out that it was him seeing Charlie that made him go on this chase with his car because he was freaked out. And he was happy to go back to the mental institution because he feels safe there. And while Hurley is there, he gets a visit from a guy named Matthew Abaddon, played by the freaking awesome Lance Reddick. Anybody who has watched John Wick will know him, and anyone who is a fan of Fringe will remember him as the friggin' awesome Philip Broyles. He shows up as Matthew Abaddon, an attorney for Oceanic Airlines. I love this talk because we already know Jack has been flying around on Oceanic because they got some sort of lifetime pass. And he says to him, like, hey, man, I'll I'll give you more perks. Hurley's like, I already have a lifetime pass. Like, what other perks can you give? The conversation takes a quick turn where Abaddon gets more serious and Lance Reddick is so amazing that he just says, are they still alive? And in that moment, it's like, what? What is happening? And And Hurley, you know, pushes away from this guy and it's, okay, who are they talking about? Who does this guy actually work for? What happened on the island? Because in present time on the island, they are still making the call. They're, Naomi dies, and they have to fix her phone so that the boat can get a good lock on them. And as they're doing all of this, we know from the flash forwards that whatever happens with them getting rescued, it is not all sunshine and roses not everyone gets rescued. So as they're going through the motions to let the boat get a lock on them, we can't help but scream like, don't do it. Stop what you are doing. This is the wrong thing. And in those moments, I feel weird because I'm almost on team Ben when Ben is tied up and he's still saying like, you guys are fucking idiots. This is such a mistake. When this Abaddon guy shows up to Hurley in the flash forward, my conspiracy meter goes through the roof. There's so many dots that we don't have to start connecting that Lost has made so much more out of this mythology than I ever thought they could have, of the people getting off the island is now such a mystery and what actually happened. There's so much unknown, and the stuff on the island is still interesting, but knowing that things are not great, that's just so tense that it puts my stomach in knots watching these episodes now. When uh, Agent Broyles shows up in the mental institution and says you know, has that conversation with Hurley that, as you said, eventually turns into something else. I was thinking, there's no way in hell this guy works for Oceanic. He works for another organization that potentially wants the quote-unquote island for nefarious reasons, right? But I really, really like the fact that when Jack goes to visit Hurley 
in the mental institution. And while they're playing a game of horse, you know, Jack is happy. He's living life and he's basically happy. He's, he just came back from consulting on a case, he says. And Hurley is the one that tries to convince Jack that, you know, maybe maybe we should listen to Ben. Maybe us getting off the island wasn't that good of an idea in the first place. And and I love the fact that he doesn't tell Jack about the visions. After all they have been through, Hurley, for some inexplicable reason, is afraid of telling the people that is close to him that he's having visions of somebody who is dead. Right. So that really made me think of someone who is losing their mind. Because when you're losing your mind in real life, you want to appear to everyone else to be as normal as possible. But inside of your soul and inside of your head, you know that you're going insane, right? But right. outwardly, you want to maintain a sense of normalcy as best as you can. So what did you think about Hurley's reasons for not telling Jack that he's seeing, quote-unquote, the ghost of Charlie. I, I think I just figured that Hurley has seen dead people presumably before or made up people. So he doesn't feel that he needs to share that because it's a secret that he's always kept hidden. So, you know, Libby was the only person who knew about Dave. It's kind of run of the mill for Hurley almost to see someone who's not there because he he thinks that it is some sort of mental illness, but it could actually be a special power. You know, it might not be a glitch. It might be a feature. So it's one of those things where I wasn't that surprised that he didn't mention it only because I feel like it's been established. This is not necessarily something new to happen to Hurley and he hasn't shared it in the past. So I thought that was was interesting. But I did love when they're having that chat and that's where it it kind of lets us know where in the timeline it takes place because Jack says, you know, he's in a good headspace and he says he's thinking about growing a beard. Hurley's like, nah, don't do it, guy. So then we know, you know, okay, he hasn't grown the beard yet, but he's thinking about it. The main centerpiece and probably the most shocking part of this entire episode for me, though, happens on Island where the groups all converge. And after they find out, Hurley has that moment where he tells Claire about Charlie. John Locke and Jack have a showdown again with a gun. In those moments, Jack gets the upper hand and he's aiming the gun at Locke's head. And Locke says... You won't do it like you can't. And Jack pulls the trigger. The gun has no bullets. But in that moment, Jack was willing to kill John Locke. He went as far as pulling the trigger and he didn't know the gun wasn't loaded. The look on Locke's face and the fact that Jack was willing to do that took me by surprise and honestly was the most shocking part of this episode what did you think in that moment when he pulled the trigger? See, Matt, I wasn't crazy after all. My theory of Jack's willingness to do the unthinkable to get his people off the island is just phenomenal because I knew that Jack has the capability of going there and if pushed enough, he could possibly kill someone. But to your point, I think... If the gun would have been loaded, I think that would have drastically changed the audience's view of our quote-unquote hero of the entire show, Jack Shepard. And I think that the writers would have had to have spent the rest of the show sort of redeeming Jack for killing Locke in that particular moment. But the fact that he didn't do that, I think, 
save the writers a giant headache. But but the thing that happens after that, I, I find more frustrating because our losties sort of break up. A batch of them go with Ben, Locke, and they go hide. But a, another batch of losties go with Jack, Kate to get rescued. And I love how in the scene with Hurley and Jack, Hurley apologizes to Jack and he says, I'm sorry, I should have trusted you. I should have I should have stayed with you. And that line to me was the line of the episode for me. And it really, really hit home for a particular reason. And it was really, really impactful. How did how did you feel about that? What I love is that this is again playing on that new dynamic that the flash forwards provide. Because in the moment on Island, when Locke says, if you guys come with me, we're going to hide because I believe that calling this boat and getting off the island is the wrong call. These people are dangerous. We can't trust them. Hurley says Charlie gave his life to turn off the beacon, but then his final act was letting us know that this was not Penny's boat. So to honor his memory, I'm going to go with Locke because Charlie would have wanted me to because that was his dying message was we can't trust these people. And then in the basketball game, he says, Jack, I never should have gone with Locke. I'm sorry I went with Locke. It was a mistake. And in that moment, I'm like, well, on on Island, it seems like the right thing to do and a triumphant moment. And then this lets us know it was the wrong call. And I thought that was just so fascinating. Like, I shouldn't have gone with Locke. I was wrong. That basketball scene with Jack is one of the best scenes of the episode because Not only does Hurley apologize for this, but also Jack asks him if he's going to tell. So we still know there is some big secret that the Oceanic Six are keeping. And I just love when this is still a moment where Jack says, Hurley's wondering if the island is trying to call them back and if they they will go back. And Jack says, I'm never going to the island. Never. And Hurley says, never say never. And we know that at a certain point, Jack is going to want to go back to the island. So I just thought all of these dynamics at play are so fascinating and frustrating at the same time because it's exciting, but it's also like banging your head against a wall because we don't have the full picture. Yeah, I think moving forward here, when we deal with the with the final three seasons of Lost, I think that As we move forward here, I think the rest of the show is going to be like trying to put together a giant puzzle without the pieces. And I think like we're putting together a a puzzle, but we don't have the box. So we don't know what the picture is. I think that is going to be a rewarding experience. But there are going to be weeks where Matt, where where myself or Matt is just going to want to bang our heads up against the wall. And I would just like to say I totally forgot about this last week. So that's why I'm saying this now. I think that. One of the best aspects of Lost as a, as a show is the music. We haven't given Michael Giacchino his due for the amazing music that he composes because the music that accompanies these touching scenes and these mind-blowing scenes is simply, simply amazing. And it is so, so well done. I just want to take a small little moment to acknowledge the genius that is Michael Giacchino. The music on Lost is always one of the driving forces. Giacchino came up with so many great themes that they would reuse at certain key moments that the show would not be the same without the music because the music is so great at conveying the tension, the emotion, and elevating 
the stuff that the writers and actors have done in a way. Lots of shows have serviceable, passable scores. Lost has one that's 100% part of the show and part of the success of the show is that fantastic music. Even at key moments of tension, like at the very end of this episode, the score starts to accelerate as Jack and Kate are expecting a giant rescue. And instead of a giant rescue, a helicopter flies by and drops off a parachutist who we see in the rain and the music starts to build the tension as this person takes off their helmet. And it is our first look at Jeremy Davies as Daniel Faraday on Lost as he looks at them and says, are you Jack? Cut to black, end of episode. And the work of Giacchino that is so phenomenal in the emotional moments is also great in building the tension in those action beats. And here we get a glimpse of someone that we don't know is going to be a pivotal Lost character. So that is where we're going to stop for today. We are going to be taking a look next week at Season 4, Episodes 2, 3, and 4. So if you are watching along with us, that's the homework for this week. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can reach us on Twitter at JJUniverse815 is the handle or tweet using the hashtag Radio815. If you like the show and find this entertaining at all, tell your friends, let people know. If you want to get in touch with me, best spot is on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best spot? It's also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. So thanks very much for listening. We appreciate it. Until next week, Radio 815 over and out.